Chapter Two of Jeremy by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Family Dog. One. That winter of Jeremy's eighth birthday was famous for its snow. Glebeshire has never yielded to the wishes of its children in the matter of snowy Christmases, and Polchester has the reputation of muggy warmth and foggy mists. But here was a year when traditions were fulfilled in the most reckless manner, and all the 1892 babies were treated to a present of snow on so fine a scale that certainly for the rest of their days they will go about saying, "'Ah, you should see the winters we used to have when we were children.' the snow began on the very day after jeremy's birthday coming down doubtfully slowly little grey flakes against a grey sky then sparkling white then vanishing flashes of moisture on a wet unsympathetic soil that day the snow did not lie and for a week it did not come again then with a whirl it seized the land and for two days and nights did not loosen its grip from the nursery windows the children watched it their noses making little rings on the window-pane their delighted eyes snatching fascinating glimpses of figures tossed through the storm cabs beating their way the rabbit-skin man the milkman the postman brave adventurers all fighting as it seemed for their very lives for two days the children did not leave the house and the natural result of that was that on the second afternoon tempers were like so many dogs straining tugging pulling at their chains it could not be denied that jeremy had been tiresome to every one since the afternoon when he had heard the news of his going to school next september it had seemed to him a tremendous event the beginning of the end to the others who lived in the immediate present it was a crisis so remote as scarcely to count at all mary would have liked to be sentimental about it but from this she was sternly prevented there was then nothing more to be said jeremy was suddenly isolated from them all his destiny was peculiar they were girls he was a boy they understood neither his fears nor his ambitions he needed terribly a companion the snow shutting them in laughed at their struggles against monotony the nursery clock struck three and they realized that two whole hours must pass before the next meal mary her nose red from pressing on the window-pane her eyes gazing through her huge spectacles wistfully at jeremy longed to suggest that she should read aloud to him she knew that he hated it she pretended to herself that she did not know jeremy stared desperately at helen who was sitting dignified and collected in the wicker chair hemming a minute handkerchief we might play pirates jeremy said with a little cough the better to secure her attention there was no answer or there's the hut in the wood if any one likes it better he added politely he did not know what was the matter had the jampot not told him about school he would at this very moment be playing most happily with his village it spread out there before him on the nursery floor the noah family engaged upon tea in the orchard the butcher staring with fixed gaze from the door of his shop three cows and a sheep absorbed in the architecture of the church he sighed then said again perhaps pirates would be better 
Still Helen did not reply. He abandoned the attempted control of his passions. "'It's very rude,' he said, "'not to answer when gentlemen speak to you.' "'I don't see any gentlemen,' answered Helen quietly, without raising her eyes, which was, as she knew, a provoking habit. "'Yes, you do,' almost screamed Jeremy. "'I'm one.' "'You're not,' continued Helen. "'You're only eight. Gentlemen must be over twenty, like father or Mr. Jellybrand.' "'I hate Mr. Jellybrand, and I hate you,' replied Jeremy. "'I don't care,' said Helen. "'Yes, you do,' said Jeremy. Then suddenly, as though even a good quarrel were not worth while on this heavily burdened afternoon, he said gently, "'You might play pirates, Helen. You can be Sir Roger.' "'I've got this to finish.' "'It's a dirty old thing,' continued Jeremy, pursuing an argument, "'and it'll be dirtier soon, and the jampot says you do all the stitches wrong. I wish I was at school.' "'I wish you were,' said Helen. There was a pause after this. Jeremy went sadly back to his window-seat. Mary felt that her moment had arrived. Sniffling, as was her habit when she wanted something very badly, she said in a voice that was little more than a whisper, it would be fun, wouldn't it, perhaps, if I read something, Jeremy? Jeremy was a gentleman, although he was only eight. He looked at her and saw behind the spectacles eyes beseeching his permission. Well, it wouldn't be much fun, he said, but it's all beastly this afternoon anyway. Can I sit on the window, too? asked Mary. Not too close, because it tickles my ear, but you can, if you like. She heard across to the bookshelf. There's Stumps, and Rags and Tatters, and Engel the Fearless, and Hair Baby, and Alice and— Alice is best, said Jeremy, sighing. You know it better than the others. He curled himself into a corner of the window-seat. From his position there he had a fine view. Immediately below him was the garden— white and grey under the grey sky, the broken fountain standing up like a snowman in the middle of it. The snow had ceased to fall, and a great stillness held the world. Beyond the little iron gate of the garden, that always sneezed, tissue when you closed it, was the top of Orange Street. Then down the hill on the right was the tower of his father's church. Exactly opposite the gate was the road that led to the orchards, and on the right of that was the Polchester High School for young ladies, held in great contempt by Jeremy, the more that Helen would shortly be a day-boarder there, would scream with the other girls, and, worst of all, would soon be seen walking with her arm round another girl's neck, chattering and eating sweets. The whole world seemed deserted. No colour, no movement, no sound. He sighed once more. "'I'd like to eat jam, and jam, lots of it,' he thought. "'It would be fun to be sick.' Mary arrived and swung herself up on the window-seat. "'It's the looking-glass one. I hope you don't mind,' she said apprehensively. "'Oh, it's all right,' he allowed. He flung a glance back to the lighted nursery. It seemed by contrast with that grey world outside to blaze with colour. 
the red-painted ships on the wallpaper the bright lights and shadows of the charge of the light brigade the salmon fronts of the doll's house the green and red of the village on the floor with the flowery trees the blue tablecloth the shining brass coal scuttle all alive and sparkling in the flames and shadows of the fire caught and held by the fine gold of the higher fender beyond that dead white soon it would be dark the curtain would be drawn and still there would be nothing to do he sighed again it's a nice bit about the shop said mary jeremy said nothing so she began she started at a run she looked at the queen who seemed to have sniff sniff suddenly suddenly rapped 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 said jeremy i don't know said mary rubbing her nose what it means but perhaps we'll see presently herself up in w o o l wool alice rubbed her eyes and looked again she couldn't looked again she couldn't asked jeremy it should be she couldn't look again oh there's a stop said mary i didn't see after again there's a stop she couldn't make out what had happened at all i can't either said jeremy crossly it would be better perhaps if i read it myself it will be all right in a minute said mary confidently was she in a shop and was that really was it really a ship that was sitting on the counter she finished with a run a what asked jeremy a ship a ship how could it sit on a counter he asked oh no it's a sheep how silly i am mary exclaimed you do read badly he agreed frankly i never can understand nothing and it was at that very moment that he saw the dog two he had been staring down into the garden with a gaze half abstracted half speculative listening with one ear to mary with the other to the stir of the fire the heavy beat of the clock and the rustlings of martha the canary he watched the snowy expanse of garden the black gate the road beyond a vast wave of pale gray light the herald of approaching dusk swept the horizon the snowy roofs the streets and jeremy felt some contact with the stranger air the mysterious omens that the first snows of the winter spread about the land he watched as though he were waiting for something to happen the creature came up very slowly over the crest of orange street no one else was in sight no cart no horse no weather-beaten wayfarer at first the dog was only a little black smudge against the snow then as he arrived at the coles garden gate jeremy could see him very distinctly he was it appeared quite alone he had been it was evident badly beaten by the storm intended by nature to be a rough and hairy dog he now appeared before god and men a shivering battered creature dripping and wind-tossed bedraggled and bewildered and yet even in that first distant glimpse jeremy discerned a fine independence he was a short stumpy dog in no way designed for dignified attitudes and patronizing superiority nevertheless as he now wandered slowly up the street his nose was in the air and he said to the whole world the storm may have done its best to defeat me it has failed i am as i was i ask charity of no man i know what is due to me 
It was this that attracted Jeremy. He had himself felt thus after a slippering from his father, or idiotic punishments from the jam-pot, and the uninvited consolations of Mary or Helen upon such occasions, had been resented with so fierce a bitterness that his reputation for sulkiness had been soundly established with all his circle. Mary was reading— an old sheep sitting in an armchair, knitting, and every now and then leaving off to look at her through a great pair of spectacles. He touched her arm and whispered, I say, Mary, stop a moment. Look at the dog down there. They both stared down into the garden. The dog had stopped at the gate. It sniffed at the bars, sniffed at the wall beyond, then very slowly, but with real dignity, continued its way up the road. "'Poor thing,' said Jeremy. "'It is in a mess.' Then, to their astonishment, the dog turned back, and, sauntering down the road again, as though it had nothing all day to do but to wander about, and as though it were not wet, shivering, and hungry, it once more smelt the gate. "'Oh!' said Mary and Jeremy together. "'It's like Mother,' said Jeremy, "'when she's going to see someone and isn't sure whether it's the right house.' then most marvellous of unexpected climaxes the dog suddenly began to squeeze itself between the bottom bar of the gate and the ground the interval was fortunately a large one a moment later the animal was in the coles garden the motives that led jeremy to behave as he did are uncertain it may have been something to do with the general boredom of the afternoon it may have been that he felt pity for the bedraggled aspect of the animal most probable reason of all was that devil-may-care independence flung up from the road as it were expressly at himself the dog obviously did not feel any great respect for the coal household he wandered about the garden sniffing and smelling exactly as though the whole place belonged to him and a ridiculous stump of tail unsubdued by the weather gave him the ludicrous dignity of a malvolio i'm going down whispered jeremy flinging a cautious glance at helen who was absorbed in her sewing mary's eyes grew wide with horror and admiration you're not going out she whispered in the snow oh jeremy they will be angry i don't care whispered jeremy back again they can be indeed before mary's frightened whisper he had not intended to do more than creep down into the pantry and watch the dog at closer range now it was as though mary had challenged him he knew that it was the most wicked thing that he could do to go out into the snow without a coat and in his slippers he might even according to aunt amy die of it but as death at present meant no more to him than a position of importance and a quantity of red currant jelly and chicken that prospect did not deter him he left the room so quietly that helen did not even lift her eyes then upon the landing he waited and listened the house had all the lighted trembling dusk of the snowy afternoon there was no sound save the ticking of the clocks he might come upon the jam-pot at any moment but this was just the hour when she liked to drink her cup of tea in the kitchen he knew from deep and constant study every movement of her day fortune favoured him he reached without trouble the little dark corkscrew servant's staircase 
down this he crept and found himself beside the little gardener's door although here there was only snow-lit dusk he felt for the handle of the lock found it turned it and was at once over the steps into the garden here with a vengeance he felt the full romance and danger of his enterprise it was horribly cold he had been in the nursery for two whole days wrapped up and warm and now the snow world seemed to leap up at him and drag him down as though into an icy well mysterious shadows hovered over the garden the fountain pointed darkly against the sky and he could feel from the feathery touches upon his face that the snow had begun to fall again he moved forward a few steps the house was so dark behind him the world so dim and uncertain in front of him that for a moment his heart failed him he might have to search the whole garden for the dog then he heard a sniff felt something wet against his leg he had almost stepped upon the animal he bent down and stroked its wet coat the dog stood quite still then moved forward towards the house sniffed at the steps at last walked calmly through the open door as though the house belonged to him jeremy followed closed the door behind him then there they were in the little dark passage with the boy's heart beating like a drum his teeth chattering and a terrible temptation to sneeze hovering around him let him reach the nursery and establish the animal there and all might be well but let him be discovered cold and shivering in the passage and out the dog would be flung he knew so exactly what would happen he could hear the voices in the kitchen he knew that they were sitting warm there by the fire but that at any moment jampot might think good to climb the stairs and see what mischiefs they children were up to everything depended upon the dog did he bark or whine out into the night he must go again probably to die in the cold but jeremy the least sentimental of that most sentimental race the english was too intent upon his threatened sneeze to pay much attention to these awful possibilities he took off his slippers and began to climb the stairs the dog close behind him very grave and dignified in spite of the little trail of snow and water that he left in his track the nursery door was reached pushed softly open and the startled gaze of mary and helen fell wide-eyed upon the adventurer and his prize three the dog went directly to the fire there sitting in the very middle of the golden cockatoos on the turkey rug he began to lick himself he did this by sitting very square on three legs and spreading out the fourth stiff and erect as though it had been not a leg at all but something of wood or iron the melted snow poured off him making a fine little pool about the golden cockatoos he must have been a strange-looking animal at any time being built quite square like a toy dog with a great deal of hair very short legs and a thick stubborn neck his eyes were brown and now could be seen very clearly because the hair that usually covered them was plastered about his face by the snow in his normal day his eyes gleamed behind his hair like sunlight in a thick wood he wore a little pointed beard that could only be considered an affectation in one word if you imagine a ridiculously small sheep-dog with no legs a french beard and a stump of a tail you have him 
and if you want to know more than that i can only refer you to the description of his great-great-great-grandson jacob described in the chronicles of the beaminster family the children meanwhile gazed and for a long time no one said a word then helen said father will be angry but she did not mean it the three were by the entrance of the dog instantly united into an offensive and defensive alliance they knew well that shortly an attack from the outside world must be delivered and without a word spoken or a look exchanged they were agreed to defend both themselves and the dog with all the strength in their power they had always wanted a dog they had been prevented by the stupid and selfish arguments of uncomprehending elders now this dog was here they would keep him oh he's perfectly sweet suddenly said helen the dog paused for a moment from his ablutions raised his eyes and regarded her with a look of cold contempt then returned to his task don't be so silly said jeremy you know you always hate it when aunt amy says things like that about you did nurse see asked mary no she didn't said jeremy but she'll be up in a minute what are you going to do asked mary her mouth wide open do keep him of course said jeremy stoutly at the same time his heart a little failed him as he saw the pool of water slowly spreading and embracing one cockatoo after another in its ruinous flood we ought to wipe him with a towel said jeremy if we could get him dry before a nurse comes up she mightn't say so much but alas it was too late for any towel the door opened and the jam-pot entered humming a hymn very cheerful and rosy from the kitchen fire and an abundant series of chronicles of human failings and misfortunes the hymn ceased abruptly she stayed there where she was frozen into an image as she afterwards described it she also said you could have knocked me down with a feather the dog did not look at her but crocked under him the leg that had been stiff like a ramrod and spread out another the children did not speak well for a moment words failed her then she began her hands spread out as though she was addressing a suffragette meeting in trafalgar square she knew happy woman nothing of suffragettes of all the things and it's you master jeremy that has done it as any one might have guessed by the way you've been behaving this last fortnight and what's come over you is more nor i nor any one else can tell which i was saying only yesterday to your mother that it's more than one body and pair of hands is up to the managing of now that you've got so wild and wicked and wherever from did you get the dirty animal dropping water all over the nursery carpet and smelling awful i'll be bound which anybody can see that's got eyes and you'd know what your father will do to you when he knows of it and so he shall as sure as my name is lizzie preston go on out you ugly dirty animal Ugh! you horrible creature you i'll but her advance was stopped jeremy stopped it standing in front of the dog his short thick legs spread defiantly apart his fists clenched he almost shouted you shan't touch him no you shan't i don't care he shan't go out again and die you're a cruel wicked woman the jampot gasped 
never no never in all her long nursing experience had she been so defied so insulted her teeth clicked as always when her temper was roused the reason being that thirty years ago the arts and accomplishments of dentistry had not reached so fine a perfection as to-day can show she had moreover bought a cheap set her teeth clicked she began the moment your mother comes i give her notice to think that all these years i've slaved and slaved only to be told such things by a boy as then a very dramatic thing occurred the door opened just as it might in the third act of a play by m sardou and revealed the smiling faces of mrs cole miss amy trefusis and the rev william jellybrand senior curate of st james's orange street mr jellybrand had arrived as he very often did to tea he had expressed a desire as he very often did to see the dear children mrs cole liking to show her children to visitors even to such regular and ordinary ones as mr jellybrand at once was eager to gratify his desire we'll catch them just before their tea she said happily there is an unfortunate tendency on the part of our press and stage to caricature our curates this tendency i would willingly avoid it should be easy enough to do as i am writing about polchester a town that simply abounds and also abounded thirty years ago in curates of the most splendid and manly type but unfortunately mr jellybrand was not one of these i myself remember him very well and can see him now flinging his thin black and as it seemed to me then gigantic figure up orange street his coat flapping behind him his enormous boots flapping in front of him and his huge hands flapping on each side of him like a huge gesticulating crow he had the polchester people who liked him said a rich voice the others who did not like him called him an affected ass he ran up and down the scale like this mrs dear my cole and his blue cheeks looked colder than any iceberg but then i must confess that i am prejudiced i did not like him no children did the cole children hated him jeremy because he had damp hands helen because he never looked at her mary because he once said to her little girls must play as well as work you know he always talked down to us as though we were beings of another and inferior planet he called it getting on with the little ones no he was not popular with us he stood on this particular and dramatic occasion in front of the group in the doorway and stared as well he might unfortunately the situation already bad enough was aggravated by this dark prominence of mr jellybrand it cannot be found in any chronicle that mr jellybrand and the dog had met before it is simply a fact that the dog raising his eyes at the opening of the door and catching sight of the black-coated figure forgot instantly his toilette rose dripping from his rug and advanced growling his lips back his ears out his tail erect towards the door then everything happened together mr jellybrand who had been afraid of dogs ever since as an infant he had been mistaken for a bone by a large retriever stepped back upon aunt amy who uttered a shrill cry 
mrs cole although she did not forsake her accustomed placidity said nurse nurse jeremy cried it's all right he wouldn't touch anything he's only friendly mary and helen together moved forward as though to protect jeremy and the jampot could be heard in a confused wail not me mum wickedest boy better give notice i never listens dog dog the animal however showed himself now as at that first earlier view of him indifferent to his surroundings he continued his advance and then being only a fraction of an inch from mr jellybrand's tempting gleaming black trousers he stopped crouched like a tiger and with teeth still bared continued his kettle-like reverberations aunt amy who hated dogs loved mr jellybrand and was not in the least sentimental when her personal safety was in danger cried in a shrill voice but take it away take it away alice tell him it's going to bite mr jellybrand the dog raised one eye from his dreamy contemplation of the trousers and glanced at aunt amy from that moment may be dated a feud which death only concluded this dog was not a forgetful dog jeremy advanced it's all right he cried scornfully he wouldn't bite anything he bent down took the animal by the scruff of the neck and proceeded to lead it back to the fire the animal went without a moment's hesitation it would be too much to say that it exchanged a wink with jeremy but something certainly passed between them back again on the turkey rug he became master of the situation he did the only thing possible he disregarded entirely the general company and addressed himself to the only person of ultimate importance namely mrs cole he lay down on all fours looked up directly into her face bared his teeth this time in a smile and not in a growl and wagged his farcical tail mrs cole's psychology was of the simplest if you were nice to her she would do anything for you but in spite of all her placidity she was sometimes hurt in her most sensitive places these wounds she never displayed and no one ever knew of them and indeed they passed very quickly but there they occasionally were now on what slender circumstances do the fates of dogs and mortals hang only that afternoon mr jellybrand in the innocent self-confidence of his heart had agreed with miss maple an elderly and bitter spinster that the next sewing-meeting of the dorcas sisterhood should be held in her house and not at the rectory he had told mrs cole of this on his way upstairs to the nursery now mrs cole liked the dorcas meetings at the rectory she liked the cheerful chatter the hospitality the gentle scandal and her own position as hostess she did not like she never liked miss maple who was always pushing herself forward criticizing and backbiting mr jellybrand should not have settled this without consulting her he had taken it for granted that she would agree he had said i agree with miss maple that it would be better to have it at her house i'm sure you will think as i do why should he be sure was he not forgetting his position a little kindest woman in the world she had seen with a strange unchristian pleasure the dog's advance upon the black trousers then mr jellybrand had been obviously afraid 
He fancied, perhaps, that she, too, had been afraid. He fancied, perhaps, that she was not mistress in her house, that she could be browbeaten by her sister and her nurse. She smiled at him. "'There's no reason to be afraid, Mr. Jellybrand. He's such a little dog.' Then the dog smiled at her. "'Poor little thing,' she said. "'He must have nearly died in the snow.' Thus Miss Maple, bitterest of spinsters, influenced all unwitting the lives not only of a dog and a curate, but of the entire Cole family, and through them of endless generations, both of dogs and men, as yet unborn. Miss Maple, sitting in her little yellow-curtained parlour, drinking in jaundiced contentment her afternoon's cup of tea, was, of course, unaware of this. A good thing that she was unaware— she was quite conceited enough already. 4. After that smiling judgment of Mrs. Cole's, affairs were quickly settled. Of course it can only be for the night, children. Father will arrange something in the morning. Poor little thing, where did you find him? We saw him from the window, said Jeremy quickly, and he was shivering like anything, so we called him in to warm him. "'My dear Alice, you surely don't mean,' began Aunt Amy, and the jampot said, "'I really think, Mum,' and Mr. Jellybrand, in his rich voice, murmured, "'Is it quite wise, dear Mrs. Cole, do you think?' With thoughts of Miss Maple, she smiled upon them all. "'Oh, for one night I think we can manage. He seems a clean little dog, and really we can't turn him out into the snow at once. It would be too cruel.' but mind children it's only for one night he looks a good little dog when the quality had departed jeremy's mind was in a confused condition of horror and delight such a victory as he had won over the jampot a victory that was a further stage in the fight for independence begun on his birthday might have very awful qualities there would begin now one of the jampot's sulks moods well known to the cole family and lasting from a day to a week according to the gravity of the offence yes they had already begun there she sat in her chair by the fire sewing sewing her fat roly-poly face carved into a parody of deep displeasure life would be very unpleasant now no tops of eggs no marmalade on toast no skins of milk no stories of when i was a young girl no sitting up five minutes later no stopping in the market-place for a talk with the banana woman only stern insistence on every detail of daily life swift judgment were anything left undone or done wrong jeremy sighed yes it would be horrid and for the sake of the world in general which meant mary and helen he must see what a little diplomacy would do kneeling down by the dog he looked up into her face with the gaze of ingenuous innocence you wouldn't have wanted the poor little dog to have died in the snow would you nurse it might you know it wouldn't be any trouble i expect there was no reply he could hear mary and helen drawing in their breaths with excited attention father always said we might have a dog one day when we were older and we are older now still no word 
we'll be extra good nurse if you don't mind don't you remember once you said you had a dog when you were a little girl and how you cried when it had its ear bitten off by a nasty big dog and how your mother said she wouldn't have it fighting round the house and sent it away and you cried and cried and cried and how you said that perhaps we'll have one one day and now we've got one he ended triumphantly she raised her eyes for one moment stared at them all bit off a piece of thread and said in deep sepulchral tones either it goes or i go the three stared at one another the jam-pot go really go they could hear their hearts thumping one after another the jam-pot go oh nurse would you really whispered mary this innocent remark of mary's conveyed in the tone of it more pleased anticipation than was perhaps polite certainly the jam-pot felt this a flood of colour rose into her face her mouth opened but what she would have said is uncertain for at that very moment the drama was further developed by the slow movement of the door and the revelation of half of uncle samuel's body clothed in its stained blue painting-smock and his ugly fat face clothed in its usual sarcastic smile excuse me one moment he said i hear you have a dog the jam-pot rose as good manners demanded but said nothing where is the creature he asked the new addition to the cole family had finished his washing the blazing fire had almost dried him and his hair stuck out now from his body in little stiff prickles hedgehog fashion giving him a truly original appearance his beard afforded him the air of an ambassador and his grave melancholy eyes the absorbed introspection of a spanish hidalgo his tail however in its upright stumpy jocularity betrayed his dignity there he is said jeremy with a glance half of terror half of delight at the jam-pot isn't he lovely lovely my word uncle samuel's smile broadened he's about the most hideous mongrel it's ever been my lot to set eyes on but he has his points he despises you all i'm glad to see jeremy as usual with uncle samuel was uncertain as to his sincerity he looks a bit funny just now he explained he's been drying on the rug he'll be all right soon he wanted to bite mr jellybrand it was funny mr jellybrand was frightened as anything yes that must have been delightful agreed uncle samuel what's his name we haven't given him one yet wouldn't you think of one uncle samuel the uncle considered the dog the dog with grave and scornful eyes considered the uncle well if you really ask me said the gentleman if you name him by his character i should say hamlet would be as good as anything what's hamlet asked jeremy he isn't anything just now but he was a prince who was unhappy because he thought so much about himself hamlet'll do said jeremy comfortably i've never heard of a dog called that but it's easy to say well i must go said uncle samuel making one of his usual sudden departures glad to have seen the animal good-bye he vanished hamlet repeated jeremy thoughtfully i wonder whether he'll like that 
His attention, however, was caught by the jam-pot's sudden outburst. "'All of them,' she cried, "'supporting you in your wickedness and disobedience. I won't have it, nor endure it, not a minute longer. They can have my notice this moment, and I won't take it back. Not if they ask me on their bended knee. No, I won't, and that's straight.' For an instant she frowned upon them all. Then she was gone, the door banging after her. They gazed at one another. There was a dreadful silence. Once Mary whispered, "'Suppose she really does!' Hamlet only was unmoved. Ten minutes later Rose, the housemaid, entered with the tea-things. For a little she was silent. Then the three faces raised to hers compelled her confidence. "'Nurse has been and given notice,' she said, "'and the missus has taken it. "'She's going at the end of the month. "'She's crying now in the kitchen.' They were alone again. Mary and Helen looked at Jeremy as though waiting to follow his lead. He did not know what to say. There was tragedy. There was victory. There was remorse. There was triumph. He was sorry. He was glad. His eyes fell upon Hamlet, who was now stretched out upon the rug, his nose between his paws, fast asleep. Then he looked at his sisters. Well, he said slowly, it's awfully nice to have a dog, anyway. Such is the true and faithful account of Hamlet's entrance into the train of the Coles. End of chapter 2